Welcome back to the Generation B podcast. I'm Renee. I'm Greg. And clearly, we love Boston Bruins. This week, I found an article on NHL.com slash Bruins, obviously their main feed, and it's talking about TD Garden's top Bruins moments, because TD Garden's turning 25, if you can believe that. I I can't believe it. I'm 25, and this is as old as I am, because I was how old when the original Garden was tore down? Well, they played their last game there. They played what they called the last hurrah. Uh-huh. It was a preseason game against Montreal. So you would have been even a year old yet when they started to tear it down. So I'm literally the same age as TD Garden. Yeah. Now, 25 years, obviously you can imagine that there have been a lot of amazing moments that have happened. And we have a list of the 25 most insane, awesome, crazy moments that have happened in TD Garden. We're going to read these to you. But first, I want to let you know, if you go to coolhockey.com slash THPN and use the promo code THPN, you'll get 20% off and free shipping in Canada. That's coolhockey.com slash THPN. Use promo code THPN for 20% off and free shipping in Canada. Uh, October 7th, 1995, a new beginning. The Bruins played their first regular season game at what was originally the Fleet Center. Yes, it was called the Fleet Center. So they didn't re they didn't like build a new place. They just moved arenas. They built the Fleet Center right behind the the old Boston Garden. And then they changed the name to TD Garden. Right. That came later. Gotcha. But it was originally called the Fleet Center. That night, October 7th, 1995, Cam Neely had a hat trick, and they went on to have a 4-4 tie against the New York Islanders. Well, I would like to say one thing real quick about the last hurrah, the final game in quotation marks, because if I remember correctly, they might have played two halves. What they did was they got like virtually every former Bruin that was alive and had them come out on the ice. I think it was after the game. It's hard to remember 25 years ago. Oh, but, gee, thanks. But the biggest, well, I remember <laughs> that for sure. But uh, the the big moment was when Norman Levier came out. And if people don't know his story, um, he had an aneurysm in the locker room when they were playing. I think it was Vancouver. And uh, Is this the video that I sent you the other day? Yes. Okay, the Bruins actually reposted this on their um, Instagram where – he had come out after the aneurysm and Bork skated with him and he was holding on to a stick. And I obviously don't remember that moment because oh, I right. <laughs> was but tiny. It was, it was super emotional and the garden went absolutely I heard bonkers. in the video. But if, if you are like me and, you know, you're super young and you obviously don't remember it, um, check out the Boston Bruins Instagram because they reposted a video and – I I don't even know who the guy was, but I was like getting teary eyed over it, over the amount of people cheering for him and just seeing him out there doing it after knowing that he had an aneurysm. It was it was a lot. <laughs> I wish they I wish they had a, a DVD out of the last hurrah, the whole entire ceremony, mm-hmm. just at least just the ceremony. Because it's probably on YouTube. I don't know. I haven't looked. You know, a lot of YouTube videos are blurry and all that it's like watching tv back in the 50s you know where you're up there adjusting the antenna and it still doesn't do any good i don't I know remember you that don't know. but i know you do of course <laughs> you had three channels and no remote 
January 20th, this is the second thing on the list, 1996, Seeing Stars. The Bruins had the NHL All-Star Game uh, during the building's inaugural season, and Neely and Bork repped the Bruins. Bork went on to score the winning goal for the Eastern Conference with 38 seconds remaining and was then named the NHL All-Star MVP of 1996. That was awesome. I'll never forget that. See, I'm reading all of these things, and I'm too young to remember it, but I'm glad that I have you here to <laughs> commentate on the things that you remember. Yeah, that was that was pretty incredible. I mean, you know, obviously it, would, it had to have been one of Raymond's highlights of his career. I mean, to score the game-winning goal in the All-Star game in Boston, I mean, you know, you can't write a better script than that. <laughs> Then June 26th, 1999, looking to the future, uh, the building hosted a signature event with the 1999 NHL entry draft. The Bruins took defenseman Nick Boynton with the 21st overall pick. Yeah, I remember those days. And looking at this uh, picture, it's like, um, God, it seems so long ago. Yeah, it, and that it was only looks 1999. like. It's so funny because looking at it, it looks like a typical. 90s photo <laughs> like the background the outfits the guy's hair it just screams the 90s october 4th 2001 to the rafters you can imagine what this is ray bork got his number retired number 77 and of course that brings back a lot of memories of when phil esposito had his number raised to the mm-hmm. rafters and of course phil was number seven and when Raymond Bork started his career, here he was number seven. So here you get Ray Bork coming out with his jersey on, number seven. And he goes up and he's he's shaking Phil's hand and all that stuff. And next thing you know, Raymond is peeling off the number seven jersey. And underneath is the number 77. Wow. I didn't and, know that happened. Oh, my God. It's an incredible moment. And, um, you know, Raymond said nobody else will ever wear number seven. And I didn't know that was the story behind 77. Oh, yeah. It was just, it was a wow. phenomenal moment. I mean, uh, I have goosebumps. It's another moment when the garden went nuts. I mean, there's so many awesome memories if you're a Bruin fan. And, and it's like, unfortunately, there's not enough cups in those memories. <laughs> but, you know, if you're a Bruin fan, you love them till the day you die, you're a Bruin fan. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that moment was great. But, yeah, when, uh, you know, you look at the picture of uh, his family grabbing the ropes getting ready to raise the uh the banner with, with number 77 with the boys on yeah you look at those <laughs> little boys and they look so little and to think that they both had pretty decent hockey careers uh on to the next thing october 24th 2002 over a year after retiring raymond bork's number Another Bruins legend has his number raised. Terry O'Reilly's number 24 took its place alongside Bork's number 77. Terry O'Reilly. You know, he was in the penalty box so many times in his career that they actually gave him one of the penalty boxes (laughs) from the old Boston Garden. No, they didn't. They did. I mean, this guy was, was, he was kind of a Cam Neely type of guy. I mean, he's all round, all round. He could score goals, but he would also just beat the crap out of you. (laughs) I mean, he was just. So Brad Marchand is the Terry O'Reilly. Oh, no, 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 no. no. Not even for uh, penalty box minutes. No, Brad is more skilled. 
Okay. Than Terry O'Reilly was as far as with the puck is concerned and being able to score goals and whatever. Terry epitomized the Boston Bruins. He could check you. He could smash your face in. But he, he would also score goals. That's why they called him the Tasmanian Devil. He was everywhere. He was he was just, it was insane to watch him play. I can't imagine being on the ice against him. Sounds a little scary. I'm sure it was. For, my life. I'm sure it was for a lot of the opposing players. I mean, every time they, they seen Terry O'Reilly come over the boards, it was like, oh, my God, no. <laughs> But he he was awesome. Number 24, Terry O'Reilly. January 12th, 2004, uh, my favorite, Cam Neely's number eight was raised into the rafters. Now, I mentioned on um, another episode that my dad always called me his Cam Neely baby when I was born because I was born on March 8th at 10.08, and I was eight pounds. And, man, we... uh, I got to see it. I don't know if you had seen it before me, but we went to Boston a couple years ago for one of my birthdays, and we actually got to see all the banners and the numbers and everything, and oh, what a feeling. Yeah, I mean, that that was that was a night of mixed emotions because Cam Neely was such a phenomenal player. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talked about it before. All around, a, another guy like Terry O'Reilly, the ultimate Bruin. Because, you know, Boston, especially with the old garden, it was a smaller rink. I mean, the ice surface was actually smaller than a normal rink. So, Is that allowed? Well, it probably probably isn't now. but They caught away with it. <laughs> back then, I mean, that's just the way it was. I don't know if they didn't build it right or, or whatever, mm-hmm. but it was a little bit smaller than the normal ice surface so the the Bruins always kind of built themselves around a rough tough team right and the fans just ate it up and Terry O'Reilly and Cam Neely were the two of the ultimate Bruins as far as that description is concerned because like I said they'll, they'll put you through the boards they'll beat your face in and then score a goal all in the same shift <laughs> I mean they were just incredible players and for Cam with his injuries that shortened his career, um, it, like I said, it was a, a night of mixed emotions because you think of what could have been if he would have been more healthy than what he was. But mm-hmm. uh, I know uh, Bruin fans can relate to this, but you know you got a special place in your heart for number five, Ulf Samuelson of the Pittsburgh Penguins. You say that with a look on your face. Oh. One of the most hated opponents because he need Cam Neely mm-hmm. one time, and it was Cam's worst injury. And uh, yeah, that definitely helped shorten his career. And it was a dirty, it was a dirty hit. And I can remember seeing Cam laying on the ice, and you knew that something bad was wrong. Yeah. And uh, where did he knee him at for that bad of an injury? His thigh. Oh wow. And uh, the injury was so bad that I can't remember all the specifics, but it actually calcified. The injury calcified in his thigh. And I remember. So hardened. Yeah. I remember him saying he had a place in his thigh that was like a brick. It was just calcification. And, you know, obviously, and to try to rehab something like that, I yeah. mean, where do you even start? Did the other guy go on to play or did he? Oh, yeah. He kept playing. And mm-hmm. in fact, that he's coaching somewhere. I don't even remember where because I don't want to remember anything about mm-hmm. number five, Ulf Samuelson. And I remember uh, Cam tried to get his revenge a couple times, 
but Samuelson just turtled. I remember one time Cam Neely grabbing him by the shoulders and sliding him head first into the boards. Off Samuelson was too much of a wimp to stand up and fight Cam Neely like a man, and he just turtled like a little baby. And it's like, uh. and Off Samuelson was one of those guys. He he was wearing a face shield back when not too many guys were wearing a face shield. He wore every piece of equipment that he could, so he wouldn't get hurt. Uh-huh. He was one of those guys. But he was fine to hurt other people. Oh yeah, he was just a dirty. Nasty player that unfortunately never got his. Okay, on to the next sorry. thing to make you happier. I, I, I'm sorry, my blood pressure <laughs> needs to come down anyways. April 19th, 2008, in quotations, this building is vibrating. Marco Sturm's goal with two minutes and 37 seconds remaining kept a wild third period. TD Bank North Garden, as it was known at that moment, was vibrating as the Bruins beat Montreal 5-4 to four to force a Game 7 in their first round. Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty phenomenal. Marco Sturm, you know, he he wasn't, you know, your most talented player, but um, I liked him. He gave it all, and, you know, I remember he scored the game-winning goal against the Flyers in the uh, Outdoor Classic at Fenway Park, which obviously cemented a place in all Bruin fans' hearts for Marco Sturm. Right. But, yeah, even before that, when they beat uh, Montreal in 08, that was that was obviously awesome. Anytime, anytime the Bruins beat Montreal, I don't care if it's a preseason <laughs> game. You know, if if one team is undefeated and the other team hasn't won a game all year, if the Bruins beat Montreal, you're a happy camper. Uh, March 18th, 2010, Thornton versus Cook. Now, it says here the old Boston Garden was known for its boxing matches and, you know, heavy fights. Sean Thornton beat up Matt Cook, who 10 days earlier delivered a vicious blindside hit on Mark Savard, which left him with a concussion. It was kind of like if somebody would have got a hold of Samuelson after he injured uh-huh. Neely. You know, it was one of those deals. because It's, it's a brotherhood. I mean, you, exactly. you, you stick up for revenge. Your you yeah. stick up for your teammates. Mark Savard was a tremendously skilled hockey player. Mm-hmm. Wasn't dirty or anything. And that headshot that he got from Cook, I mean, obviously he wasn't the same afterwards and right. ended up having to retire. That's the one thing that... that as a fan, I would love to see if you end a, a guy's career on something that's intentional. You should never play another game. I don't care what sport it is. Yeah, I you agree. should never be able to play another game. Mark Savard deserved a longer career than what he got, and um, I agree. Unfortunately, just getting his butt kicked by uh, Sean Thornton wasn't enough. I mean, I wish the entire team at the same time could have got a piece of him. Yeah. Hello, bonjour, hello, hey, hiya and previet hockey fans. Welcome to the Europuck podcast. The show where two blokes from Blighty talk about everything to do with European hockey as part of the Hockey Podcast Network. From the Russian KHL to the Swedish Hockey League, the Finnish Liga to the Swiss National League, the British Elite League to the Alps Hockey League, we talk about anything and everything European hockey. Catch our podcast every Friday from August the 28th, however you get your podcasts, and on the Europuck Podcast YouTube channel. The Europuck Podcast, giving you guys European hockey.
this next thing is something that has stuck out in my mind forever, literally since it happened. February 9th, 2011, they called it Fight Night. Uh, longtime rivals Montreal and the Bruins, they had a game. The Bruins won 8-6, to six, and Tim Thomas and Carey Price dropped the gloves and literally fought, which for me, it stuck out in my mind because, one, goalies rarely fight. But to have two goalies fight each other, that was, in my mind, uh, amazing. <laughs> I had never seen that before. Well, and, and really, it wasn't much of a fight, to be perfectly honest. It's what you can imagine two goalies fighting would look like. <laughs> well, there's actually been a few throughout the years, a few really good um, goalie brawls. Really? Oh, yeah. Uh, Ron Hextall of the Flyers, he loved to mix it up. And, and there was a couple times he fought some pretty good fights. I, I can't remember exactly who he fought. Which, uh, but this one with Price and Thomas didn't compare to it. Oh God, it was it was nothing compared to that. I mean, <laughs> Tim really didn't look like he wanted to go. Yeah, but I don't know if he felt like he had to or not. I'm but, looking uh, at his face in the photo, and I can't tell if he's angry or if he's smiling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could be a little bit of both. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. But yeah, if, if you ever uh, look it up and watch the video, you can see that Tim didn't look that enthusiastic about it but uh the main point of the whole thing is that the Bruins won and right. it was against Montreal. <laughs> yes. Satisfying. Yes. April 27th, 2011, uh Nathan Horton delivered the overtime winner for the Bruins. Uh they ended up winning 4 to 3 against the Canadians in game 7 of the first round of the playoffs. Oh man. Seeing Lucic and uh, this old team, that's that's really when I got into hockey right. was um, that year when they won the cup in 2011. We During the uh, game seven of the finals, our family actually rented out a part of a bar that kids could go into because we had a lot of underage kids at the time. And we had the whole room basically to ourselves. I remember sitting there watching it. Um, during the end of the game, the TV was cutting out. There were moments that we missed and everyone's just like, what's happening? Fix the TV. They couldn't do anything because it was just the feed. And then finally we got to see the ending and they had <laughs> an ice bucket. <laughs> there that we lifted up and we pretended it was the cup and I, what a time that this team is definitely the ones that got me actually watching hockey and paying attention to it and knowing what was going on Lucic uh Horton all of them yeah Tim Thomas yes I mean, uh, uh, yeah that was that was a great year and it, like I said it it's too bad they didn't repeat it at least a couple one times. <laughs> time. At least one more time they should have. May 6, uh, 2011 at TD Garden, a year after squandering a 3-0 series lead and a 3-0 advantage in Game 7, the Bruins got their revenge with a sweep of the Flyers in the second round of those playoffs. Yeah, sweet revenge, especially against the Flyers, because like, I, like I've always said, you know, that the Flyers are probably... Well, I don't know if they're number two on the list of hated teams of most Bruin fans because I know the Rangers are in there too. Yeah, but for they might me, be tied for two. <laughs> for me, it's Montreal first, and then the Flyers. Mm-hmm. 
and most of that goes back to the like the mid seventy years when the Bruins and Flyers went out in the playoffs, and unfortunately the Flyers came out ahead of those deals. But uh, yeah, that was that was pretty phenomenal because you know the Bruins had the stigma of being one of what two or three teams to blow a three zip lead in yeah. the series at that time, and uh, it was it was nice revenge. There's no doubt about it. May 23rd, 2011, I feel like I don't even have to give you details of this. It's the save. You know the save. Oh, yeah. That save. <laughs> that was just unbelievable. I mean, it still ranks up there as one of the you know best saves of all time. Yeah, that's what it says. It says uh, Bruins legend Tim Thomas made one of the greatest saves in team history, probably in NHL history. Well, yeah, not just team history. Yeah. I mean... You know, it, it was just unbelievable. And obviously, if he doesn't make that save, I mean, you just never know what could happen. Uh, May 27th, 2011, Horton did what Horton does best. David Krejci gave him the puck with 7.33 remaining in regulation to clinch Boston's one nothing victory over Tampa in Game 7. Horton then went in and scored and sent them to the Stanley Cup Finals for the first time since 1990. Yeah, that was a great moment. Nathan Horton, uh, you know, he had a he had a great year that year, and uh, the fact that uh, you know he couldn't finish out the playoffs because of his injury that he sustained. I wasn't sure if the Bruins would be able to uh, do it without him. To yeah, to win the cup without Nathan Horton, but. Uh, by golly, they pulled together, and I'll never forget the the game seven when uh, it was in Vancouver, and he took a water bottle that had the melted ice from TD Garden mm-hmm. and poured it onto the Vancouver ice. <laughs> and by God, if he hadn't done that, who knows what would happen? <laughs> I don't want to say hockey players are superstitious. Oh my but... God, hockey players are the most super. <laughs> And let me tell you this, hockey coaches too. Yeah. I mean, we know that from my nephew slash your cousin. Uh-huh. He's I mean, very superstitious. He is the most superstitious person if, I've if, ever known. If they would be winning and you wouldn't go to a game, he'd blame you oh, <laughs> for oh, them yeah. not winning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, or, that, or if I went to a game and they lost, uh-huh. what the heck are you doing here? Yeah, don't, don't come to the next one. Yeah, it's like, are you kidding me? It says here that that game uh, where... Horton scored with David Krejci's uh, puck that he sent to him. It The game went without a penalty and is considered perhaps the best Bruins game in the building's history. Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, when you got a, a rink where you played 25 years, there's a lot yeah. of moments. But I, I, it's definitely one of, you know, one of the highlights. There's no doubt about that. But to, to pinpoint one game over so many others, it's kind of hard for me to do. June 6th, 2011, the first Stanley Cup final game in the new building was when the Bruins were playing the Vancouver Canucks in Game 3. They were down two games to none in the series. Boston went back and won 8-1, to and that was the game where Horton was lost for the series. After he got hit, uh, he did not return. Yeah, that was a nasty shot to the head. June 8th, 2011, the Bruins tied up the Stanley Cup Finals. With a 4 nothing victory over the Canucks. Yeah, two goals by Rich Peverly. Um, he was one of those Bruins where, um, you know, you you really liked him. 
he wasn't a superstar, but he he was one of those guys that you know he could score goals. He was a good defensive player, good on faceoffs. After he got traded to Dallas and he had that episode with his heart uh-huh. where he collapsed on the bench. I mean, that was so that was really scary. scary. I remember that. I mean, that just that just shows you that um, hockey is just a minuscule part of our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, that game. Tim Thomas had 38 saves. Yep. What a shutout. They won 4 nothing. It was so awesome beating Vancouver yeah. to win the cup. I mean, because there, there were a lot of players on Vancouver that I didn't like at all, especially um, Alex Burroughs. I, oh, I couldn't stand that guy. Well, that brings us to June thirteenth, two 2011. They forced Game 7 after winning three straight games. And they won five to two. Yeah, I mean, and then obviously went on to win the cup. <laughs> right. Yeah. Obviously, they had to win that uh, that game six to take it back to Vancouver. And yeah. you know, you're apprehensive. They're playing without Horton. You know, you're you're going back to Vancouver for game seven. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, Roberto Luongo. You know, he's he was always whining and crying about stuff and. You know, he he was talking about how Tim Thomas should be pumping his tires and all that stuff. Is like, you know, just go out there and try to win a cup. October 6th, 2011, they raised the banner that they are officially Stanley Cup champions. The first time that they won a Stanley Cup in 39 years. That was a long time. Like I said, Bruin fans' hearts have been broken so many times. And mm-hmm. to think that they had to wait. 39 years for another cup after 72. It's just inconceivable. That same night, the Bruins also lifted the cup up. Uh, they honored retired Mark Recchi. Yeah, I mean, Mark Recchi, you know, he was he was great with the Bruins. But for me, he always had that stigma of being a Philadelphia Flyer. <laughs> you know, I mean... I, You're glad he's playing, but also yeah, this li- is where you came from. <laughs> exactly. I liked him. I didn't love him. And I knew he was just – I knew he wasn't going to be there very long. I, what, what, he's been there two years with the Bruins because he was, you know, towards the end of his career and everything. And, yeah. You know, like I said, he, he did a lot for the Bees that year, and uh, I I will always like him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But there's just too many memories of him as a flyer, which he spent most of his career in Philadelphia. And the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this next thing uh, is something that will be forever remembered. April 17th, 2013, the city unites. Um, obviously, that was two days, literally just two days after the Boston Marathon bombings. Uh, TD Garden, they... The crowd took over singing the national anthem. The whole place was singing. I have goosebumps right now thinking about it because I remember it so vividly. But, wow. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe 2013. It's seven years ago. Almost yeah. eight years ago It doesn't ago seem already. like it was that long ago. I, it just goes to show, like we've been talking before, the 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 Boston community they're like brothers and sisters. They're all together. They're all in it. They're all in it with each other. Yeah. And uh, I remember um, I wasn't in Boston at the time, but I was at JFK Airport when it happened. 
And I was trying to fly back to Dallas because I I was just overseas with a friend of mine. We went to England and, uh, oh my gosh. Why'd you go to England? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) There may have been a boy band that I really liked, so I went to go see him in concert. But that's besides the point. It was uh, really scary because all the flights, they were canceled and uh, postponed and everything. And we're sitting there. They had cut off the Wi-Fi to the airport, so no one could see what was going on. No one knew what was going on. I was relying on texts from you and mom. And to find out that that's why, oh, it was heartbreaking. Oh, I, I remember that day vividly because obviously I was following what was going on in Boston. And then you're texting me, mm-hmm. telling me that your your flight's delayed in New York, and you're stuck in New York, and it's like... A New York of all places yeah, I'm that, stuck in. that was such a target, and I'm thinking, what the heck? Yeah. And I, I think at that point, you probably would have driven to New York to get me myself, so I, I wouldn't have ran to, to New York. fly home. But um, yeah, what, what a time for Boston during yeah. those moments. And having the city together, I mean, just seeing every, literally everything everyone come together after that it's and it doesn't surprise me you know like we've talked the 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 kind of city that boston is and i'm sure i'm sure that if if the the td garden could have fit everybody in boston everybody in boston would have been there may 13th the month later it's the comeback (laughs) they were down 4-1 during third period the bruins came back with a historic comeback. Nathan Horton, Milan Lucic, and Patrice Bergeron all scored to tie the game, and then Bergeron ended up winning it with 6.05 into overtime send Boston to the second round of the playoffs. Yeah, that was uh, obviously pretty awesome. Who are they playing there? It looks like Toronto. Vancouver. Oh, no, it, oh, it looked like Vancouver. Toronto. June 5th, 2013, uh, game three of the Eastern Conference Finals against Pittsburgh. It was tied midway through the second. Gregory Campbell dove to block a shot with his right leg during a penalty kill and then was on the ice for 47 seconds afterward, even though he was in a lot of pain. But the crowd was chanting, Campbell, Campbell. And then he ended up uh, missing the remainder of the postseason with a broken right fibula. Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty phenomenal. I mean, Gregory, the dedication. Gregory Campbell was a, a heck of a player. I mean, he would do anything that you wanted him to do, and oh, he—you could tell he was—he was in massive pain, mm-hmm. but he stayed out there, like it says, for a whole forty-seven seconds. And it's like, I honestly, I will believe till my dying day that losing him was. More, one of the reasons why he why the Bruins didn't win the cup in 2013, which is uh, I don't even want to talk about. Uh, well, June seventh, 2013, uh, two nights after uh, the Bruins secured their return to the Stanley Cup Finals that year, and they swept the Penguins, and Adam McQuaid won that game, won nothing, and. Obviously, the 2013 Stanley Cup Finals did not go as planned. My dad refused to watch that game winner from the Blackhawks up until he accidentally saw it this last year. Well, I'm sorry, two years ago. It'll be two two years ago. um, At Notre Dame, the Winter Classic with the Bruins and the Blackhawks, they, they were playing a montage of the history of the Bruins and Blackhawks. And he's watching it, and he saw it, and um, 
I I think he could have thrown up <laughs> when I think he I saw did. that. Yeah, going back to that uh, to that 2013 season, um, like I said, I honestly think the loss of Gregory Campbell played a big part yeah. in the Bruins not winning a cup that year. Um, I bought you tickets to the Stanley Cup final game two. Was it you that bought me that ticket? Yes, it was for Father's Day. Uh, game two at the United Center. I remember I bought you that ticket and you were like, why would you spend so much money? Because I think I spent like... It was over 300 bucks, wasn't it? I think with taxes, it was almost $500. <laughs> yeah, I, I... But what do you get the best dad in the world? You get him tickets to the Stanley Cup final that's getting played with your favorite team three hours away. You know, I was deeply appreciative, but God, that was a lot of money. And, it was uh, worth it, though, because they won the game you went to. They won, yep. Danny Pae scored in overtime, and uh, I'll never forget that shot ringing off the ringing off the crossbar, I think it was. And uh, it happened at the end. Uh, my nephew went with me. Mm-hmm. and uh, You guys had standing room only tickets, didn't you? They were standing room only tickets, and um, there's nothing better than – Screaming for your favorite team in Chicago during the playoff, the finals, the finals, because (laughs) you know it's one of those situations where you you're not sure if you're going to have to fight your way out of the place. Uh, Literally, literally, fight your way out. Yes, because I've I've been to quite a few brewing games in Chicago, and Chicago fans. They can get pretty nasty. Yes, they. I've gotten it before. I mean, the Winter Classic game, I had grown men screaming at me, and me being me, I don't know if it's because I was raised by you or I just know the the hockey way. Oh, I was going right back at him. I was handing it to him. What are you going to do, hit a girl? No, but I can surely <laughs> yell at you all I want. <laughs> well, if, they, if they'd have hit a, hit a girl... Meaning my daughter, it would have been a combination. <laughs> I was pregnant at the time too. Yes, so. <laughs> it would have been a combination of Terry O'Reilly and Cam Neely at the same time because I would have gone insane. But yeah, that that Winter Classic game at Notre Dame. That's that's we could do a whole show on that one. We're gonna fast forward to November 29th, two thousand eighteen, where Rick Middleton's number was retired and went up into the rafters. He was the 11th player in team history to get his number sent into the rafters. Nifty Ricky, man. That guy was slick. He could stick handle through an entire team. That guy was really awesome. Of course, he didn't spend his entire career with the Bruins, but um, you know, the time he did was, I mean, awesome as heck, obviously. He was pretty incredible. He was, he was part of Quite a few teams that uh, should have won a cup. Yeah, you would have thought <laughs> that they would have won a cup, but uh, unfortunately, it just never happened. February fifth, two thousand nineteen, Patrice Bergeron hit his one thousandth career game, and he scored two of three goals to win over the New York Islanders. Obviously, with this honor, he received a standing ovation from the TD Garden crowd. I mean, what can you? What hasn't been said about Patrice Bergeron? I mean, he's he's not. I mean, obviously, I don't know him personally, but he he just seems like he's just an incredible guy. Not to mention an incredible player. And and the phenomenal thing about him is he's 
he's a 200 foot player. I mean, he he's on every inch of that ice yeah. every game. I mean, you know, here here's a guy that is playing in the Stanley Cup playoffs with broken ribs and a hole in his lung and still playing. Yeah, and in still the playoffs. Playing. I mean, like I said, you just can't say enough about the guy. Yeah. He's just incredible. I can't imagine him being on another team. We're just, as Bruin fans, we are just so lucky Mm -hmm. that he has spent his entire career wearing that black and gold. May 27th, 2019, um, obviously TD Garden hosted its third Stanley Cup final, the Bruins and the Blues. Game one, Tory Krug hit Robert Thomas. And uh, this has been a controversial hit, but. It shouldn't have been. I mean, I was, know. There I, was nothing wrong with it. And Tory Krug, I mean, he, he, he had already lost his helmet. Yeah. And he skates almost the entire length of the ice. And you knew he was going to hit somebody the you know, the first chance he got, uh-huh. he was going to nail somebody, and poor Robert Thomas was the guy. <laughs> this this uh, photo of him that's on the website, NHL.com slash Bruins, it looks like the Bobby Orr goal, but he's celebrating a hit instead of a goal. Yeah, I mean, that was that was great, and of course the, the crowd went crazy. Yeah, the Bruins went on to win that game 4-2. Uh, to two. And then finally on this list, June 6th, 2019, two days, two days after having his jaw broken from a puck in St. Louis, uh, Zdeno Chara, game five, he received a standing ovation because he went on to play that game with his jaw wired shut. And the rest of the series. Well, yeah, and the rest of the series with the broken jaw. But, man, I will never forget the crowd, the look in his eyes of just wanting to come back and revenge. That's all that was on this guy's face. Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty phenomenal. I mean, nobody knew if he was going to play or not. Yes, he was. <laughs> I mean, it was... I don't know if he had to convince the doctors that he could play or if they just flat out gave him the okay to play. I don't know, but it was it was pretty phenomenal. And and a lot of people, you know, it was kind of borderline as far as, you know, because you could tell that he was getting worn out. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wasn't moving. As most players are at that point. Yeah, but you t- you're talking about a guy in his 40s. Right. He was moving a little bit slower. A lot of people... The big controversy was, well, should they should they sit him and and put somebody in that's going to be you know a younger guy that mm-hmm. give him more ice time, let him might, rest that might be able to do a little bit more. I mean, it was you know it was a tough call, but uh, yeah, for him to come out with the face shield on and everything with a broken jaw, I mean, it was it just shows the heart of the guy. He's, he'll be going down in Bruin history. Oh, yeah. For sure. Absolutely. 
All right. Well, this has been one of our longer episodes. What happens when you talk hockey? It just gets the best of you. I know. It's unbelievable. We're going to be back next week with an episode, so make sure you're listening for that. I'm Renee. I'm Greg. And this has been a Generation B podcast. See ya.